When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby and this is our Hey Mary Kay edition of the pod where Mary Kay Cabot will answer four questions today. We're going to talk about the latest on J.J. Watt and what she would pay to bring J.J. Watt to Cleveland. Then we talk a little bit about some other edge rushers the Browns could look at in free agency if J.J. Watt doesn't decide to come here or some guys who could maybe compliment Watt if he does decide to come to Cleveland. Then we get into receivers. Could the Browns get a first-round pick for Odell Beckham Jr.? And then we talk a lot about Richard Higgins, how he fits, and how that Browns wide receivers room is built in Kevin Stefanski's system. Make sure you check out Football Insider. As I always tell you, it's that blue banner at the top of the page. You get exclusive content, exclusive newsletter every day, and you can sign up for our texting service. And, of course, make sure you're subscribed to our Orange and Brown Talk podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Okay, here we go. Our Tuesday edition, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And away we go on our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay Cabot with me here. Uh, we are recording this on a Monday. And Mary Kay, let's just get to J.J. Watt. He is the gift that keeps on giving for us here. Of course, he had that tweet. I guess it was Sunday. You know, it takes him forever to find a restaurant on DoorDash. We all feel that way about DoorDash. So will give him some time to pick a new home in a new city. J.J. Watt watch still ongoing. So Mary Kay, what can you tell us? you know, as of about 3.30 on Monday, what the latest is on Watt. Well, first of all, I thought that tweet was so funny because like you said, he's so relatable. And just the couple of tweets that he's put out, he hasn't, he hasn't said a lot, but the few things that he does say or tweet, he really reinforces for me that, that he would be a fit in Cleveland, doesn't he? He just seems like a Cleveland kind of personality, you know, just a Midwestern, uh, self-deprecating, kind of funny guy. I think Browns fans would embrace him and absolutely love him. But the latest that I um, was able to find out, I think it was yesterday or, or maybe the, the night before, uh, was that the Browns are still in the mix, okay? And that was something that I really tried to spend a, a lot of time on Saturday trying to figure out whether or not they were still in the mix because all of a sudden things have gone sort of radio silent, right? We haven't heard anything coming out of anywhere about where he might go or what's going on. So I was able to find out that they are still in the mix, uh, at least as of yesterday. And that is because of all the reasons that, that I've outlined already. The fact that uh, they have the potential to win. They have a good quarterback. They have the money to sign him. They have a good culture going on here. And he would have a good supporting cast with Miles Garrett. Now we know some of the other teams don't have the money. And one of the things that surprised me over the weekend, Dan, and you probably saw this too, was um, Tom Silverstein from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He tweeted that he does not think that the Green Bay Packers are going to be able to sign J.J. Watt because they simply don't have the money. Yeah, and the Browns got some good news on that front too with their rollover cap space. They've got a little more money to spend 
uh, you know, a little more wiggle room under that cap. We still don't know exactly what the cap is going to be yet. We know it's going to be at least 180 million. Maybe it ends up around 185, but that's about the number to work with. And then you throw in that rollover cap. So the Browns got good news there. But look, it seems like the Steelers are still trying to, to free up space. Cam Hayward, they, they kind of reworked his contract a little bit to free up some salary cap space today. So these teams are definitely putting in the work to free up the cap space. The longer this goes on, is that better or worse for the Browns, do you think? You know what? It's probably worse for the Browns because the longer this goes on, the more other teams, like you said, have an opportunity to clear cap space. And it seems to me that that's what some of them might be doing, not necessarily just to sign JJ, but just to be able to do something, whatever they want to do. Uh, Now we know the Green Bay Packers last week, they cleared about $10 million in cap space by cutting Christian Kirksey was one of the guys that they cut. Uh, So they cleared 10 million, but that still only left them with, I think they were still about 4.5 an estimated 4.5 over the cap after they made those moves, which is again, why uh, Tom Silverstein, a long, long time plugged in beat writer for the Packers is pretty adamant in saying that he doesn't see the green Bay Packers being able to sign JJ. And I think that's huge. Uh, Because if they can't sign him, you know, a few people that I've talked to over the last couple of days have said to me, oh, I think I think the Packers are the front runners. I think the Packers are the front runners. I think that's his first choice. So I was kind of buying into that a little bit until I saw uh, Silverstein's tweets. And I think he wrote a story about it today. And and then I thought, you know what, maybe that's not going to happen. And if that doesn't happen, then that puts you into the you know, the Bills, the Titans, again, possibly the Steelers and some other teams. And I think the Browns would be right in it with those other teams, right? I mean, I don't see any, unless you're talking about playing him playing with his brothers or playing with Aaron Rodgers or playing with Tom Brady, I think the Browns stack right up with anybody in terms of what they have to offer. Yeah, I do too. And and I've said before, if I, if I could land him for, you know, maybe we disagree on this. If I could land him in that 10 to 12 million Olivier Vernon range, I, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I don't know that I would get into a bidding war, but if it turns out that with all these teams just can't free up space and the best situation football-wise and money-wise for him is a one-year deal or a two-year deal at 10 to 12 million, I would do that yesterday. How high would you go? I'm, I'm curious. Would, would you I, go close to that 17 million that he was making in Houston? That seems a little high for me. I probably wouldn't want to go quite that high. The only reason why I think, hmm, would they do it or wouldn't they is because they were willing to do that for Jadavian Clowney last year on a one-year deal. So for one year at that price, you know, I could kind of see them thinking about doing that, but I I don't know. I mean, that's kind of high. I think I would cap it out around 14 or so. I, I think I'd go, you know, 14, 15, something like that, maybe. But if they really want him and they really feel like he is that missing piece that can get them over to the top and get them into a Super Bowl, then what's a couple extra million dollars here? They're amongst friends. <laughs> like, we, like we always say, it's not our money that we're spending. It's, it's Jimmy Haslam's money. He can afford it. And the, the other thing, too, is and we're going to get into some other veteran guys, but J.J. Watt's not the only guy that they would be adding there. 
maybe not in free agency, but you're looking at the draft. You're looking at a situation where this isn't just, okay, they're going to sign JJ Watt and then, all right, it's over problem solved. It's JJ Watt. And then maybe it's a draft pick or maybe it's a, you know, some sort of bargain free agent, something like that. There's some combination here that involves JJ Watt. I think not just JJ Watt. Yeah, that's true. You're right. There will be some kind of a combination because the truth of the matter is even if you sign a JJ Watt, He's going to be 32 this year. That's not going to be your edge rusher of the future. And that is a position they're going to have to look very long and hard at in the draft, perhaps even with their first round pick, even if they signed a JJ Watt or some of the other veterans that we're going to talk about, uh, they could still go ahead and spend a high draft pick on an edge rusher because we know they put a premium on this position. We know that this is a football team that is building through the lines, the offensive line, the defensive line, investing money in pass rushers and in tackles. So uh, I, I would think that they definitely will look at one in the draft as well as signing one of these veteran guys. So let's talk about some of these other guys. If they don't sign J.J. Watt, where do you think they start to look? What sort of player are they looking at? What sort of contract are they looking at? Well, there, there's a group of pass rushers that are set to come available, and there, there are actually seven or eight of them. And I wrote about uh, most of these guys yesterday, and uh, you know, I've kind of looked into a lot of them as much as I can could. One of the, the, the guys that will be on their radar if he becomes available, and he pretty much is available now if you want to trade for him, uh, and that is Von Miller. That is you know, definitely somebody that, that they would at least – uh, kick the tires on and vet. Now he's an eight time pro bowler, but he's also someone that you can probably get on the cheap a little bit. You know, he's, he's coming off of an injury, didn't play at all last year. And I think you could kind of get him at a, a little bit of a bargain price. And if you thought that, that he was going to uh, be able to give you the production that he's gotten in every single year that he's been healthy, then I think it would be worth double digit millions to sign him. And I'm talking about more of the uh, Olivier Vernon type of a, a contract. I would be talking about $11 million, $12 million, somewhere around there. I think he'd be really one intriguing possibility. What would you think of him, Dan? You know, I, I think it's interesting. Now, what was his injury? I'm looking it up. It was just an ankle injury, right? It wasn't, my first instinct was, did he have an Achilles? But it doesn't look like it was an Achilles. It was an ankle, but it was a, a serious enough ankle that it required surgery. Right. So, you know, so you have to, you know, hope that, you know, and he's getting up there a little bit too. So you have to hope that, uh, that he'll be able to come back from, from that ankle injury and be the player that he was before. But whenever he is on the field, I mean, he is a force to be reckoned with. Uh, I, I think that he would pair very well with Miles Garrett. I think those guys would be a dynamic duo. They also always, you know, they're friends. They work together in the off season and they went to A&M, not necessarily, but did, I, I can't remember. Did they play together at A&M at all? I, I, no, I don't think, no, they didn't cross over. No, they didn't cross past at A&M. But anyways, they, they're friends. They know each other. Uh, I think that uh, Miles would enthusiastically embrace Von Miller uh, into the fold. And I still think they would be able to get enough sack production out of him that he would be worth those double digit millions. Yeah. I'm looking at just his numbers recently. And we talk a lot about JJ Watts numbers, but really aside from last year, you know, with a freak ankle injury, he's been healthy. 
he's played 16 games from 2014 through 2018. He played 15 games in 2019. In 2019, he had eight sacks. In 2018, he had 14 and a half. He's had double digit sacks, you know, up, up until 2019, he had double digit sacks every year from 2014 to 2018. Yep. And then he had eight in 2019. So this is a guy that obviously I, you know, I think if he's coming off a, a major injury, so mm-hmm. there's that, but if that injury is healed, if it's not going to be a lingering thing, you could maybe make the case that he's got a better recent track record than Watt as far as health and production is concerned. Yeah. Again, that yeah. ankle injury kind of throws all that into, you know, who knows? Cause we just don't know what the effect of effects of that injury are, but he's, when he's been healthy, he's still been really productive. Absolutely. Like you said, I mean, you look at that lineup, you don't become an eight time pro bowler for nothing. He's in double digit sacks every single year, as you mentioned, until 2019. So a little bit of a drop off that year. And then obviously the ankle injury. And the hard part now is that you really, you don't, you're not going to know enough about a guy's medicals necessarily when you would have to be making these decisions. And that's going to come into a play for a number of players, including Odell Beckham Jr. So that's something that you have to think about that you have to know how he's doing, when he's going to be healthy. Can you get him the, the medical exam that you need to with COVID restrictions, right? I mean, these are all little uh, mon- monkey wrenches that get thrown into the program, but he is definitely one person that they will kick the tires on and they will at least look at, but there are plenty of others. I mean, it is actually a good year if you're willing to spend some money on a pass rusher. I can name four or five other guys right now. There's a lot of value to be had out there. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it gets a little pricey, there's still value because a lot of these guys are young. A lot of these guys might be one year deals or, you know, low risk deals. The other thing about Miller too, is he's traditionally been that three, four outside linebacker. So he'd have to make a little bit of a, a transition here, yep. but I, th- I think he's a good enough player. And you know, if Joe Woods gets a guy like Vaughn Miller, who he's coached before, yep. uh, I, I don't think he'd complain about having to figure out how to fit him into this scheme. Yeah. I'm just looking through PFF's top edge rushers here. You know, a guy like Carl Lawson is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, from Cincinnati, now they're projecting four years, 13.75 a year. I don't know if the Browns are going, are, you know, going to set out to try and find a guy that they're going to give a multi year big money deal to. You know, I've thrown Trey Hendrickson's name out there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's what they're looking to do, if they're looking for more of a short term kind of bridge guy. But you know, Carl Lawson is really interesting. 25 years old. Uh, you'd steal him away from Cincinnati, which is always a good thing. I think we've mentioned Bud Dupree on here. Another guy that kind of stands out to me, Hassan Reddick. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, PFF has him 89. I don't know if you had him on your list or not, but he, he's a guy that's interesting too, especially because he was sort of in that Von Miller role where he was playing linebacker. And then he moves back to kind of a more traditional defensive end role last year and he thrives. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. These are all names uh, that I have kicked around. Uh, and I wrote about them, I think in... Uh, Sunday on Sundays online and kind of took a look at each guy throughout their age, uh, their market value, which I went with um, Spotrax market value for these guys, which I have found uh, in some cases is pretty different than what PFF's market value for them are. I think Carl Lawson was coming in at a lot less on, on Spotrax than PFF. See if, if you can find that real quick. If you can, I'll, I'll look it up. But Carl Lawson is somebody that I am very intrigued by uh, because of his age. 
because of his production. Now he only had five and a half sacks uh, last season, but I think some of these guys are capable of much more than that. If you plug them into a defense uh, that is just, you know, a pressure attack minded going forward, let your dogs eat kind of a defense. And, and that is basically what Joe Woods runs here. So I think Carl Lawson would be a really nice fit in this defense and at the right price. I didn't Spotrack have him at like eight in the eight point eight million. That's what I thought. I mean, if you could get Carl Lawson for a bargain like that. Now, as you mentioned, PFF had him at like $13 million a year. That's a vast discrepancy in average salary, obviously. Uh, but if you could get him at the bargain basement price of 8.8, I mean, that would be an absolute no brainer. So he's one that I really like. Now, Trey Hendrickson, we've talked about him before on this pod, and he's somebody that you've been intrigued by. Uh, he finished second in the NFL with 13 and a half sacks this year. This was his first year as a full-time starter. So he doesn't have the consistent sack production over a period of years. And sometimes you do see a guy that will have a year like that where they just like break out and have all these sacks, even Hassan Reddick to a certain degree, five of those came in one game against the giants. If you recall, right. I mean, so, you know, that's might've skewed things a bit, you know, maybe the the guy that he was playing against was whatever, having a bad day, but Trey Hendrickson is somebody that is intriguing. Again, the thing that would worry me a slight bit about him is the fact that it is one year, one year of really good solid production. Again, it was his only year as a starter. So I think that's a really good sign. And he comes at a little bit more of a bargainy price. I think he's almost like somewhere maybe in the $10 million range. He's not way, way up there with, with some of the guys. I don't think Um, another one that I actually like is Bud Dupree. I like Bud Dupree. I like him as the player. I mean, look, he had eight sacks last year and I believe he might've missed the last five games of the season. He, I think he missed five games and was on pace to have the same, whatever, 11 and a half sacks that he had the year before. Now, because of that, he is probably going to cost a little bit of money, but he's also coming off of an injury. So he had the torn ACL. He should be able to be back if he's not ready to go, you know, for training camp in August, he should be rounding into shape by around the time the season starts or shortly thereafter. So I still think that he's worth signing or at least really taking a serious look at and looking into. And then Shaq Barrett's intriguing. Shaq Barrett's an intriguing rusher. He, he led the NFL with, I think it was 19 and a half sacks in 2019 came back to the pack a little bit last year, but still a really, really good, solid, fearsome rusher off the edge, had a ton of pressures, a ton of hurries, a ton of hits, those kinds of things. So uh, he's also somebody now, he's not going to come cheap by any stretch of the imagination, but he is definitely somebody that I think he's worth looking into. Just another name that kind of circling here is a guy that the Browns I think tried to get a few times last season and that's tack McKinley, mm-hmm. not a ton of production necessarily, but obviously a guy that they wanted, they, they made a couple waiver claims on and were never able to grab. So that's a guy that he's, a, if, if the Raiders don't want to bring him back, maybe he comes in here as not, again, he's not going to be your big money addition, but maybe he's one of those kind of extra guys you, you bring in. 
because again, that production isn't there, but obviously this is a guy that they wanted to get a look at last season. So there are a lot of really intriguing options if the Browns want to add a pass rusher. And, you know, we'll spend more time on this as we get into, you know, really get into draft season. This, this would have been combine week, so we would have probably been getting to know a number of these names either this week or next week, I guess, would have been combine week. So we would have really been able to get to know some of these names. But there's a lot of good edge rushers out there as well uh, that I'm sure the Browns will be looking at sitting at 26 or in the second round or, or you know, some sort of day two pick that they would be looking to add. And again, with everything, don't ever rule out a trade. They've got these extra picks. There could be a guy out there who's not Von Miller. There could be a guy out there who suddenly becomes available because the team wants to shave some cap money and the Browns might be able to pounce. Yes, absolutely. And there, there are, uh, yes. And Andrew Berry likes to make those kind of deals. He likes to look for those uh, kind of guys. And there are two others that we should mention because we know that they looked at them last year. They inquired about trading for Yannick Nagakwe while he was still with the Jaguars before he was traded to Minnesota and then subsequently traded to Baltimore. Now he didn't have tremendous production, but he still ended up with eight sacks between the two teams. And once again, here, uh, you know, when you pair a guy with the, the other talented players on this defensive line, I, I could see the sack production going up for some of these guys. So you have him opposite miles Garrett. Maybe he's capable of even more than eight sacks uh, than the other one. And, and this guy, you could, I'm, I'm sure really get at a bargain basement price now. Uh, would be Jadavian Clowney. Now, last year, they were willing to pay Jadavian Clowney more than anybody else on a one-year deal. I'm not sure if they got all the way up to $17 million on that offer, uh, but they got somewhere pretty close to that. And they were also very competitive with their multi-year offer to him. So they really wanted him a lot. And and he always uh, grades out pretty well. Now, he did not have any sacks. He missed eight games last season with an injury. And he, his first eight games of the season, he ended up signing with the Titans. Uh, he went with the old familiar Mike Vrabel, who had coached him before. He did not have any sacks in his, in his first eight games, which is really weird for him. Uh, he, you know, he generally is able to get to the quarterback. One thing he does really incredibly well is stop the run. He's always way high up in tackling ability and run-stopping grade. And I think the same uh, was the case for last season. So even though he has, he had kind of a lack of production last year, I think he's at least somebody that would be on the radar if you could get him on the cheap. And I believe that uh, if I recall correctly, I think that Botrax market value for him was something like one year, six and a half million dollars. I mean, you would do that any day of the week if you could add a Jadavian Clowney to your lineup. And I actually think that he would be able to get more pressure in this defense opposite Miles Garrett. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then we got a couple more questions. We're going to talk a little bit about wide receivers on the other side here. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Hey Mary Kay edition. So Mary Kay, we talked a little bit about this on Monday's pod, but I want to revisit it real quickly. Odell Beckham Jr., this is Bark Week, of course, and it's Odell Beckham's week. We kind of kicked it around about – what we would stop at if we were going to trade Odell Beckham Jr. Do you think there are teams out there that would be willing to give up a first round pick for him coming off an ACL? Well, I think it might be a little difficult to find somebody willing to do that just because he is coming off of the injury and because of the high price tag 
uh, you have to pay him $15.75 million next season. So that might, you know, that that's going to influence how high you're probably going to be willing to go on the draft pick, I would think. So it might be a situation where you would have to hope that you could get maybe a second that could improve to like a conditional second that could improve to a first based on playing time and things like that. Again, as I mentioned before, the other thing to consider with Odell is that teams are not going to have the medicals on him when they, when they probably have to make this decision. And if they're not ready to make this kind of a decision, then chances are it's going to be hard to make a deal when these deals start getting made, which is now into early March. If you wait much longer than that, the cap is dried up. People don't have that kind of money later. I mean, they're just not going to have it. I do think that there probably are teams that recognize the value of an Odell Beckham Jr. And you can, like we've talked about last week, you can see what a Stephon Diggs can do for a team in the right offense. That, That kind of a guy, if you need a guy that can go out there and catch 100 passes for you or 80, 90 passes, you know, then maybe you're willing to spend that kind of money on him. So it'll be very interesting to see what the market is for him. And if there is not a market for him, I think that they would be very happy bringing him back. Okay. I want to talk about another receiver and that's Rashard Higgins. And this is a really complicated situation for the Browns because he is obviously a guy who has a great connection with Baker Mayfield. He's a guy that fans love. They just absolutely love Rashard Higgins. And with good reason, the guy just catches the football, scores touchdowns. It's fun to watch does his job, but the Browns have a decision to make on Richard. He's headed for free agency. And if they keep both Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, that's $30 million tied up in that room. They have Donovan Peoples Jones. They've got some other guys coming back. How do you think the Browns will approach things with, with Richard Higgins? Do, do you think he's back? Do you think they can bring him back? What, what's it going to cost? I think PFF, right, speculated that he might not be back, that he might end up in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So that this is a tough situation for the Browns. This could be one of those moments where they have to make an unpopular decision. Yeah, that's very true. And I think it's also one of those situations where, you know, Baker could have some influence over this decision. If he really wants Rashard back on his football team, I think the Browns would make an effort uh, to try to re-sign Richard, or maybe even go a little bit higher on the salary than they normally would. Everyone's got their price, and uh, they probably have a set price for him. But if Baker really goes to bat for him and says, look, that guy's where I need him to be, when I need him to be there, and he catches touchdowns, and he runs good routes, he's reliable, I've got chemistry with him, I can count on him, I trust him, that's going to count for something. And we know that that's the case. Uh, that Baker really likes him and vice versa. I think that Rashard Higgins recognizes that, uh, that this is a really good place for him to be. And he did a really nice job last year. And think about it. He was inactive for a couple of games just as a healthy scratch. He never really got rolling until later in the season. I think if they gave him a little bit more to do early on, uh, that he would be even more productive. Again, not super fast, not flashy, but gets the job done excellent hands, field vision, smart player, awareness. He's got a lot of things going for him. And I would try to re-sign him if I were the Browns. And I think they will try to re-sign him. It's just going to be a matter of, can he 
get more on the open market? Does he want to hit the market? And he might want to hit the market. He might want to hit the market to see if the Titans or somebody else is willing to pay him more money than the Browns are, you know, and get, you know, get into a little bit of a, a bidding war. But in that scenario, I still think that given the opportunity be, between a couple of different teams like that, I think he'd want to be here. He feels comfortable here. He's great friends with everybody on this football team. This is home to him. He loves Kevin Stefanski. Chad O'Shea believes in him and likes him. He's got the Baker connection. I still see him coming back here. Okay, so this is something I'm writing about, something we've talked about on on this pod too. I, I looked this up. This is all according to PFF. So over the first six weeks of the season, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry were targeted 74 times in the passing game. Every other receiver was targeted 13 times. Now that's not counting tight ends and running backs. That's just, this is just wide receivers yep. from week seven on. So Beckham gets hurt in week seven on, right? So you'd think maybe that would change a little bit, but in week seven on it was Landry and Higgins who had 107 of the 150 receiver targets. Donovan Peoples Jones had 19 of those remaining 43, you know, and then you look, the other guys who were getting targets who had more targets than people's Jones, Austin Hooper, Kareem hunt, Harrison Bryant, David Njoku. They were all targeted more in the passing game than Donovan people's Jones from week seven on. So this is kind of what the Browns have to decide. You have these two high priced receivers. There's a scenario where you can pay those guys $30 million and they can be on the field a bunch and they can get a bunch of targets that works in this offense. But beyond that, there's not a lot to go around. So I think there ha- there's probably a pretty hard ceiling on what you would pay a guy like Rashard Higgins, especially because you, you probably want to get people's Jones more, more opportunity on the field. I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm looking at it and it's just hard for me to see as much as good as Higgins has been. And as much as I really like him as a receiver and the things he does, if, if you've got Beckham Landry and people's Jones already, I'm not sure where Higgins fits. I, I see what you mean, Dan. I really do. I see what you mean because we've been talking about this a lot. And, and I've, I've talked about it too on some different radio shows and things that uh, to have all that money tied up when the $30 million that you are going to have to pay to, to Jarvis or 31 uh, to Jarvis and Odell for an offense that really spreads the ball around, which again is why a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. I think is always going to be kind of frustrated in this offense because he's on record as saying he wants a million targets, a million touchdowns, a million catches, and a million yards. We know that that's what he wants. It's kind of what Stephon Diggs wanted and why he wanted to go somewhere else and not play in this kind of a scheme in Minnesota. He wanted to go be a featured number one receiver and lead the league. And I think he did lead the league in maybe yards and catches and stuff like that. So it's really an offense that doesn't need you to have a super number one high price guy because it gets spread around a lot. So I think Richard's future will be directly tied to how they reshape the receiver room. And that will be dictated in part on if they keep Odell, right? I mean, some of this is going to be, do you keep Odell and do you not? If you don't, then you keep, for sure, you keep Richard and you sign maybe a, a fast free agent, if you can find a nice, good, fast free agent out there. And then you also draft a receiver. 
that's what your room would look like. And I think we'll probably end up doing, we might even do a whole podcast on that this week because it's Odell Bark week and we're going to be kind of receiver centric. Um, but I think that's where Richard's uh, future hangs in the balance is what do you really ultimately decide to do with Odell? Yeah. And, and see that again, that's sort of where it gets complicated because let's say you make the decision to trade Odell. So now you've got Jarvis Landry and Richard Higgins and Donovan Peoples Jones, but you can't, you can't come back with Higgins and Landry as your starters because you don't have any speed. And we, like, like we've talked about, you're just, there's not a lot of opportunities for a third receiver in Donovan Peoples Jones, but you want to get him on the field. There's just, something's got to give with the way this team deploys receivers. And I think even, I think it even goes a little bit beyond money. It's just about, you know, Richard Higgins might love it in Cleveland, but I don't think he's going to want to come back here and get, you know, 50 targets next season. If that's, if that's even what he got in this, if that's even what he got, I, I just, I'm really curious to see how they approach this wide receiver room because they're kind of coming from a room that was built around, you know, what, whatever Todd Haley and Freddie Kitchens and Todd Munkin were trying to do to go into this Kevin Stefanski offense that is built around tight ends and running the football or throwing to running backs, you know, even as pass heavy as it is, it's still not throwing the ball a bunch to wide receivers. There's really room for like two guys to get a heavy load of the targets and that's kind of it. So I'm really curious to see how they approach this. Yeah. And here's the other thing, Dan, how often do we hear Kevin Stefanski say, you know, that we will also tailor our schemes and our game plans to the talent that we have. So I think some of it will be dictated a little by that as well. If you end up with some really good receivers or three really good receivers, and you need to get Richard on the field more because that's when Baker Mayfield excels or his passer rating is amazing with Richard on the field, then I think you'll find a way to play three wides a little bit more than you did. And we know they're one of the teams that played it less than almost anybody else. You know, maybe you play more three wides if in, in that scenario, if you keep Jar we know they're going to keep Jarvis. We're not sure what they're going to do with Odell. And we're not sure a hundred percent sure yet what they're going to do with Richard. But if they're all back, then, you know, I kind of almost think you do have to play three wides a little bit more. And of course, we don't know for sure what's going to happen with David Njoku yet either. Right. You know, I mean, right. that's one place where, you know, maybe you end up playing three receivers a little bit more than you play two or three tight ends. You know, you mix up your offensive formations a little bit based on who you do end up with on the football team. Yeah, this is a really interesting situation here. This is kind of the first, this is one of the first tests, I think, for this organization as far as, you know, weighing, you know, what they're trying to do. Like, like you said, would Kevin Stefanski kind of remake his scheme or are they really tied to this scheme to the point where, you know, maybe your best bet is Beckham Landry Peoples-Jones. Thanks for everything, Richard. You know, we're going to draft a guy. We're going to let Kaderil Hodge get some snaps. We're going to let, you know, we're going to kind of cobble things together with that, that fourth guy, because, you know, we're just not going to pay that guy $8 million or, or whatever it would cost to have Higgins. Yeah. And, and I think his, uh, I think his market value right now, and he could probably get more on the open market, but I think his market value is something like in the neighborhood of four for 24 ish, which is roughly, you know, $6 million a year. I think he's worth that. I mean, I, I think, that it would be worth paying him that amount of money. But as you and I keep saying, 
it's, it's not our money. It's easy for me to throw $6 million a year at Richard <laughs> Higgins. You start throwing those kind of millions around to everybody and you're not going to have any money left, obviously. But I, I think he's worth in the neighborhood of, of something like that. But again, some of it will depend on, on what you do with that big Odell contract. And if he's traded, then, you know, then the Browns get out from underneath that right now, he's guaranteed for 12.791 million dollars because of injury. He's already guaranteed that. So they can't just walk away from that. They've got to get, they've got to trade him to get out from underneath that and the cap hit of, you know, 15.75 million dollars. So some of it's going to depend on that. The more I, the more I talk about this, the more it seems to me that it would make sense to try to at least do something in that regard so that you can set up your receiver room and your tight end room the way that you want it. I don't know. It's, it's a tough call. And so it, it's also a little bit of a tough call on David Njoku. If you let him go, you are saving yourself $6 million in salary. That's a, that's a big chunk of change, right? If you don't pay him that, then you can go pay that to a Richard, you know? So that's something that they really have to, to weigh as well. And as far as he is concerned, I would probably let him go. Because if you don't want to be here, I don't know that I want you here necessarily. And I, I think their philosophy is we're not going to just let somebody kind of complain their way out of town or talk their way out of town or get their way out of town. That's going to be up to us to decide, but I don't know. I I just feel like there's uh, such a good vibe going on here that I I probably wouldn't want to mess it up unless you knew that everybody was all in with being here going forward. Yeah. Look, I mean, this team's going to run into things down the road where, you know, guys are going to be unhappy with contracts, unhappy with touches, unhappy, like it happens. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any reason to force the issue with Najoku. I'm, I'm kind of with you. If he wants out, you know, you, you got a year out of him, then then let him go. If, if that's what's best for him, you can find another tight end that, that can do the things that, that you had him do this year. So, yeah, I don't think it's for whatever reason, they really wanted to keep him last year and to get to his credit, he accepted his role and he did pretty well in it. But like you said, this is sort of one of those situations where if, if there's drama there and you can remove it, that's okay. <laughs> you know, cause as, as you get better, as you go through this life cycle of a roster, there's going to be guys that are unhappy. There's going to be guys that complain and stuff like that. But right now though, you can kind of keep everybody happy for the most part. Yeah. And, if, and think about this, Dan, think you've got, you're paying Austin Hooper ten and a half million dollars, right? And then you're going to pay David Njoku $6 million to catch 19 balls. And then you're going to pay Odell Beckham Jr. $15.75 million to catch whatever, 60 passes. You're going to, then you're going to pay Jarvis Landry $15 million. You know what I mean? Like you can't have all that money tied up in pass catchers when there aren't that many balls to go around. There just aren't. And you're paying... Kareem Hunt. Now he's obviously running back, but you're paying him six, $6 million. You probably get, you might extend Nick Chubb. I, I just, I don't know. I, I think, I think that I would probably let David Njoku go find a new home 
And I'd rather give that money to Rashard Higgins. Yeah, if, if that's the trade-off. I don't know if that actually would be the trade-off. Again, it goes back to what right. Kevin Stefanski wants to do with his offense, I guess, if he'd use more receivers or, or whatever. But that's we'll have plenty of time to dig into that and discuss <laughs> that part of it. All right, yep. there we go. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you check out Football Insider at cleveland.com slash browns, that blue banner at the top of the page. And get subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast if you aren't already wherever you listen to your podcasts. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds good.